This is Victoria Cartagena. I play Renee Montoya on Gotham, and you're listening to Gotham TV Podcast. Hey, this is Andrew Stewart-Jones. I play Christmas Allen on Gotham, and you are listening to Gotham TV Podcast. Harvey, the victim deserves justice. Yeah, and I deserve a mute supermodel who likes pasty Irish guys and loves to cook. It's not happening. Welcome back, Gothamites, to Gotham TV Podcast, the podcast on the hit show Gotham and the DC Connected Universe. This is episode 44 of Gotham TV Podcast, and we'll be looking at Beasts of Prey, episode 19 of Gotham. I'm one of your hosts, John. And I'm Derek, your other host. Episode 44, John. We're getting up to uh, getting up to the half century pretty soon. Yeah, we're, we're moving on up. Yeah. Quote song, I think. And <laughs> <laughs> um, definitely, yeah, it's uh, we're flying through these episodes now and it's really, really good. Yeah. Um, remember, you can find us on gothamtvpodcast.com forward slash iTunes. You can also search for us on any good podcast catcher, Stitcher or Player FM, for example. And remember, as you get into the final four episodes, please send us your feedback to feedback at gothamtvpodcast.com. Any feedback that we receive goes into the competition to win the drawing of Oswald Cobblepot by Christopher Ominga and the first five issues of Gotham by Midnight featuring artwork by Ben Templesmith. And there's a few extra goodies to throw in as well, but they are top secret. Mm -hmm. Even I don't know what they are yet. (laughs) But they're not massive. They are just small little goodies, I hasten to add. (laughs) Absolutely. Of course, it's open to everyone and anywhere, so please send in your feedback or comments on the show, on the episodes of Gotham, um, and leave us a review uh, on iTunes uh, and subscribe. Obviously, that would be... Uh, fantastic. Um, one other thing before we go into a review, if you've seen Avengers Age of Ultron this weekend, we have reviewed that for our sister podcast, Defenders TV Podcast. Uh, all you need to do is go over to the, to the website defenderstvpodcast.com slash iTunes and you can listen to the to our epic in length uh, podcast review of Avengers Age of Ultron. With that, we can move on to our review, episode 19 of Gotham Beasts of Prey. Yes, so this episode of Gotham was directed by Eagle Eggleston, uh, who, the wonderfully named Eagle Eggleston, uh, who also directed What the Little Bird Told Him, one of our favourite episodes of the season so far. And it's written by Ken Woodruff, who wrote two episodes previously of Gotham. He wrote Arkham and Harvey Dent, so a good calibre there of uh, director and writer in this episode. Uh, John, do you want to give us the synopsis of this episode? Certainly. Bruce and Selina team up to find Reggie, who has melted away into Gotham's underworld as Alfred is still recovering from his stab wounds. As they close in on Reggie, Bruce is faced with an unfamiliar choice. Jim, on the other hand, sees no choice in the matter as he takes on an old homicide case from an officer who is keen to come on board to clean up the GCPD precinct. As Jim and Harvey delve into the case with the help of Leslie Tompkins and Ed Nigma, a darker serial killer is brought to light, a known unknown that poses potentially deadly consequences for all who investigate him. Meanwhile, Fish carries out her own investigation of possible escape routes as she builds bridges with her previous allegiances in the basement, especially Kelly, and recruits Muscle to the cause. But this arouses the suspicions of Dr. Dolmacher and his catcher. 
Will they make it to safety and escape the island? With safety in mind, Oswald has a keen interest in a small Italian restaurant owned by Emana, all in aid of a greater plan that has in its crosshairs a Gotham Don. Oh, really good, really good. What did you think of the episode, John? Really, really good episode. Loved um, this episode. I thought it was smart, really smart. It's obviously um, a part of a much bigger thread uh, moving forward, but um, this is a really good setup um, and a really smart episode. It also not only sees the introduction of a new serial killer, which was fantastic, and possibly one of the best uh, serial killers or killers or murderers in in Gotham this season. But we also do see some resolution to fishes and tails, which is great to see. At least a partial resolution. Mm-hmm. Um, it will be exciting to see what she does and maybe if she makes it back to Gotham. But this, yeah, for me, was a really good, a really smart uh, episode of Gotham. I, I really liked it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, last week, I know you mentioned that Nicole Tom had been one of your favorite guest stars so far on uh, on Gotham. Um, without a doubt, uh, Mila Ventimiglia on this episode, who was formerly seen in Heroes. Um, I have to give my uh, post my thoughts on, on the matter here. He is now my favorite guest star so far uh, in this season. He was fantastic, eerie, scary and a great character. And um, with that, I think we should go on to our top five case notes for this episode. Uh, John, do you want to give us your first one? Well, I think for, for me, Milo Ventimiglia, who is Jason Lennon, who ultimately becomes the ogre. Mm-hmm. Um, he's creepy. He's aloof. He's genuinely terrifying um, and intelligent with it. He is premeditated and obviously has been around in Gotham doing his thing for an awful long time. Yeah. And it was just real um, jeopardy for the lady involved, uh, Grace Fairchild. Mm-hmm. Really excellent. Um, and, I, and I loved it. And I loved then the, the aspect that he doesn't just go after those that he wants to get unconditional love from, which mm-hmm. again was this great um, sort of thing. It was He wants perfect love. He wants unconditional love. So almost something maybe that, you know, arguably is that possible, especially given the circumstances that yeah. he puts the, the poor unfortunates in. But, um, you know, we also see that he does ultimately go after anyone who gets in his way, um, including cops and detectives. This is really, really terrifying and a great um, introduction to Gotham and a great guest villain, guest star as well with Milo Ventimiglia. Yeah, absolutely. We see that this is his 13th victim that we're catching him on in this episode, and he's essentially being ignored by the GCPD because of the threats against them that that he will take out their, their family members and their loved ones if they go after him which is a really creepy idea you know that they will just allow the serial killer operate in the city because he's threatened their family they're cops at the end of the day that's their job is to, is to take him down and that's absolutely jim's point later on in the episode is that how can you let this guy continue to operate just because he threatens you and your loved ones that's our job you know? definitely definitely yeah. um i think as well i mean it, it comes into one of my other points as well which um 
I think I'm just going to say it now. So this is two for the price of one, everyone. Um, It's just the whole twist in the investigation that occurs surrounding the ogre. That it is, it links in with what you're saying, the GCPD's dirty little secret. Mm -hmm. He is so terrifying. He is so genuinely premeditated that he has the GCPD cowering from from him yeah he will go after the loved ones of the detectives investigating him not just simply the detectives yeah this is um a really um great twist in the investigation of this missing girl grace yeah grace fairchild and it leads me to my first point on this uh on this episode um grace fairchild and how she's been drawn as a character uh really good way of setting her up and really well written character by ken woodruff here um it's a really strong female character i, I could I, I see how they have laid her out as being someone that you know is you know knows the ways of the world and knows that there are people like this character um in the city and people that are dangerous to be around but kind of you know probes them really well when they're sitting down having cocktails and asks them a few a few interesting questions to find out why he's single and why he's going after her and you know again very strong woman when he brings her back to the apartment and she compliments him and kind of goes oh you've clearly had a lot of women back here you know this obviously works on the girls you know calls her mother to tell her where she is um not the address unfortunately which could have helped her out um but she does all the right things. She questions him well. She um, she leaves in the morning to go to work. You know, she says she's going to come back to him in the evening. Tries to get out of there, and then unfortunately falls victim to uh, to the ogre essentially. So uh, so I do, but I do like how her character is drawn in this episode. I think it's a really good um, really good character. It's not a, uh, it's not just a bimbo that he picked up in a bar. You know, she's a she seems to be quite an intelligent character that unfortunately falls into this circumstance. Yeah, she has the smarts and I mean it's not like she is drunk um, and doesn't know what she's doing. I mean she's going back um willingly but with an eye of being smart about it. This is not the ogre taking advantage of a drunk woman. Um he has to play the matchmaking game at this moment Absolutely. in order to bring her in and to draw her in and and um she gets caught by by that it's like he knows the game better um than her or he plays the game better than her in this instance in order to capture her and i mean i was kind of fairly shocked when they're sat around the table and She's cooked the lamb, which must be difficult with handcuffs on, um, with with the bindings. Yeah. Um, but to see those bindings was really um, a, a shock. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to see his sort of displeasure that the lamb is overcooked, again, it, it's that perfect ideal that he seems to be striving for. And even when he has a trussed up um, from the ceiling and there's all the other pictures of the previous 12... He says, I thought you were the one. It yeah. is, he's looking for something, and if he doesn't find it, he kills them. And that is really just such a premeditated form of, of killing um, and was really scary for, for that whole reason. Yeah, absolutely. Specifically this line from the episode where he says a very standard breakup line to Grace uh, at the dinner table, but he delivers it so creepily. I checked it twice when it was in the oven, and I think it might be... <gasps> Hotter than it says that it is. You know, I don't think this is working out. It's not you. 
me. So that's probably the worst it's not you, it's me moment uh, that I've seen on, on TV. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I could I could feel the shivers going up my spine there. It was fantastic. <laughs> really, really good. It was just really well done because that could come across as such a cringy line. Mm -hmm. it, it's so troped um, in so many different uh, shows um, that this, with that threat behind it, was excellent. It mm -hmm. really, really took that saying and just twisted it in, in a really dark way. I think another twist, which is really dark, um, which links into the, my second point as well, mm -hmm. is the despicable cunning of Commissioner Loeb as well. Absolutely. That all this knowledge about the ogre um, by the GCPD, and he uses that to his advantage to get Jim to investigate with, and I presume he's got his toes, fingers, and legs crossed, mm -hmm. that the ogre will then begin to go after and take down uh, Jim's loved ones um, bit by bit. Yeah. And one of the things that we'd spotted here was that when he calls Leslie Tompkins, the phone isn't answered, and I'm there now going, has he gone after her? Has Has Jason Lennon, as the ogre, gone after Leslie Tompkins? Or has she just not picked up the phone yeah yeah absolutely it's kind of i'm gonna jump right into my next point about leslie tompkins in this episode a couple of things that she said i thought stood out uh, to set up this moment essentially that you i'm certainly fearing for leslie tompkins now um when jim goes into her with the investigation uh leslie obviously jumps on it because she's hugely interested in uh, in any investigation that involves a homicide um but she says that grace fairchild this character is around the same age as her, lives in the same neighborhood, probably frequents the same kind of bars that this that the formerly single Leslie used to frequent. Yeah. Um it really interesting that she's setting herself up as very similar type of person to Grace Fairchild, which would probably be the ogre's type of person, I suppose. Um we don't see much of the photographs of the other twelve victims, but you can make the assumption that he's got a type that he goes after. Uh, he's looking for his perfect woman. So um so it's interesting that that they're putting Leslie in this position of uh in this possible victim position that she could be taken out by the ogre uh, or could be captured by the ogre. Really, really good and really, really good setup for uh, for later on in the episode when Jim makes that phone call to her to see if she's if, see if she's been taken by him um, as he's been told that the uh, that his loved ones will be taken down. I thought uh, really well laid out, definitely. The other thing is Harvey Bullock and that realisation when he sees the picture of the broken heart that is left at every crime scene, yeah. that this cold case is cold for a reason because if it's warmed up in any way, um, then the people investigating are, are caught up and embroiled within this world of the ogre. Yeah. And I, I loved um, how for, for Harvey Bullock, it went from being... Um, simply, do you want to work more or less, essentially? Mm -hmm. that Why are you taking on an additional case, more workload, and so on? He's kind of whining throughout this to Jim that we've got other cases to be doing, and so on. Yeah. And then, um, at the same time, then, as soon as he realises it, it is even more that it's like dropping a hot plate or, or recoiling from an electric fence or something, mm -hmm. that we shouldn't even be involved in this. And that just sort of links in with this whole twist and, and the embroilment by Loeb, not just of Jim. Yeah. He's not going after Jim. He's also going after the people that Jim cares about. Yeah. And 
obviously and justifiably, Jim's reaction to that is massive mm. and, and hugely negative towards Commissioner Loeb that he's coming after him once he has gotten the ogre. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I also wonder if uh, if Harvey's specific reaction to this is realizing that the ogre is going to go after Jim's loved ones, and now he's kind of formed that bond with Jim that he is probably the closest person that everybody sees. So is this another self-preservation moment for for Harvey Bullock where he's going, uh-oh, Jim's gotten involved in this, and now I'm going to be the one chased down. You know? But Harvey is the loved one. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, yeah. the bromance between the two. Yeah. Or do you think maybe that uh, Harvey has a, a secret loved one somewhere, even whether it's his a family member like his mum. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Possibly. Or else, uh, yeah, or else go after Fish. You know? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> as we know, Fish is one of his loved ones from uh, from earlier on in the season. Yeah. yeah, definitely. John, what's your third point in this episode? Um, well, it still links in with all of this, really. And I loved how this investigation was um, maneuvered through the entire episode. I loved the flashbacks. Mm, yeah. For me... And it, it, it lends itself really well to the portrayal by Milo Ventimiglia um, of uh, Jason Lennon of the Ogre. It felt very Seven-ish to me. Right. right. Um, but I loved how the flashbacks transitioned between uh, Jim and Harvey investigating. And then it was almost like the, the film reel had broken or, or was starting to get burnt through and, and um, destroyed. And it moved back into the, what, three, four months earlier yeah. um, into Grace and Jason um, meeting in the bar, going back to his apartment, and obviously the next morning, and then unfortunately uh, everything that follows after that over the dinner table. Yeah. And I loved how it f- flashed back, and but also then moved back towards the present day in Gotham through this, this kind of transition. I just thought it was... Um, it was great how they did that, and um, I just thought it worked so so well yeah. for how the investigation was w- was put up and brilliant. I mean, yeah. I'd love to know technically how they do that um, and how they work on that, but I just thought it, it felt really well. It wasn't just simply a um, you know a, a break in the edit and you go back and it was a yeah. slightly different color. They had that as well, but it it was almost like a a destruction of the film reel as it sort of was trying to reverse back into then the the previous events leading up to this missing girl being found um, murdered with her throat cut. Yeah, yeah, really good stylistic choice there from uh, from the director. I presume it was the director that made the choice. Uh, really good, and it felt like yeah, it felt like a burning photograph or something like that. That was yeah. you know something captured in time but now burnt uh, in history. Uh, really, really good, and I, and I liked the kind of juxtaposition with. You know, obviously, they already have recovered the body of Grace Fairchild. Um, you know, Leslie's able to do the examination on her in, in the GCPD, you know. So it is absolutely a cold case. So it's interesting to see the last hours in the life of this girl uh, or, you know, a couple, a couple of scenes of the last four months in her life, essentially, and what led to it. Uh, and unfortunately, as I said earlier on, it's not by any poor choices by her. It's just a really unfortunate situation. She obviously can't judge a guy very well or which is more likely Jason is much better at covering his tracks and, and hiding behind the persona of a man that's just looking for a good relationship, you know. Um, so I thought that was really good. So, Derek, uh, what's your third point? Yeah, my third point is just going on to Alfred on the other side of, of the episode this week, um, him going on his vendetta against uh, against Reggie. Doesn't get very far past the couch, unfortunately, um, but he does have a, he does have his moment of... of uh, 
essentially teaching Bruce that it's right to go on a vendetta, uh, to take revenge for uh, what's happened to you in the past. And I wonder if this is a big moment for Bruce, essentially. As we know later on in the episode, Bruce does take on that um, that revenge against Reggie for what he did to his, his butler, uh, Alfred. But he was told by Jim, his other father figure, to stay out of it, to keep completely clear of this. And, and we do have Alfred telling him this is the right thing to do. So he is now listening to Alfred's guidance of, fa of fatherhood and Alfred's, you know, Alfred's experience more than he's li listening to Jim. The reason why I bring it up is because we talked about it quite a lot in some of the early episodes and in our interview with Sean Pertwee. We talked about, you know, their different styles of parenting towards Bruce, their different guidance that they give him and their, you know, who would Bruce listen to um, when given the choice between the two of them. Uh, and it does seem here that Alfred is giving him the guidance that vengeance is right and vendetta, following vendetta is right. Yeah, I mean, it, it was really interesting seeing um, Jim at, at Wayne Mansion and questioning him about um, their version of events and essentially being very suspicious that they've just lied to him. Yeah. I think you definitely saw Bruce being uncomfortable with having to maintain that lie yeah. um, to a police detective in the form of Jim Gordon, who he does have a a um, you know a relationship with, going back to his parents' murder, yeah. um, but nonetheless he continues with that lie um, that him and Alfred have have established. I do, I think it's vengeance, um, vendetta. I don't know. I think um, my understanding from Alfred was that. There's some things you don't let the police get involved with. Mm. And if it's your mate, you go after him. I'm not too sure it was sort of a carte blanche, vengeance is good. I think it was because it was something personal done to him. Yeah. And I think that makes more sense with Bruce Wayne, mm -hmm. given that the murder of his parents is obviously very personal. Definitely. And he takes that on board. But normally, you know, Batman will also look to involve the police. He is seeking justice, not necessarily vengeance. Mm -hmm. So he may not take all of what Alfred is saying to him here, even though he may take part of it. There's yeah. still influence, I think, from what Jim gives to him. He's also got influence from what Reggie had given to him in that fight scene previously where Reggie explains and teaches him how to use his environment, how to fight dirty as well. Yeah. Whereas Alfred is very much um, the Queensby rules, kind of a much more honourable type of fighting, that it has to be fair and and equal. Yeah. So I think Bruce ultimately will assimilate all of these into his own way of dealing with it, mm -hmm. I think. Um, and I think that's what we're getting here. And I, that's a really nice part about the development of Bruce Wayne and again David Mazous here does a really good way of of expressing that um in the episode yeah and one line I really liked um from him here was just he goes he's whining more than I thought he would do uh, when he refers back to to Alfred after yeah. being asked how is Alfred by Jim uh -huh. I, I just love the fact that he's got this grin and smirk on his face and um, saying well, he's whining a lot. You know, he normally tells me off for doing that or something yeah. like that. Really yeah. good little um, sort of expression in, in, in that scene, which I, I thought was great. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, John, do you want to give us your next point? Speaking of these people, um, my fourth point would be Reggie side, actually. <laughs> and this is the death of uh, poor Reggie, or maybe not so poor Reggie, mm. played by David O'Hara. 
you know, we see Bruce and Selina team up. Bruce is going off investigating um, a number of different things. Um, you, you see his uh, street smarts is certainly still not with him, where he's going around all the shooting um, and gun ranges. This is all being because he's been told by Alfred he's gone to a shooting gallery, uh, which is essentially a place where people shoot up drugs. Yeah. And when he says this to Selina, she goes you really don't get out much, do you? Yep. You know, And they head off to find Reggie at this really sleazy-looking warehouse loft space, which is dripping with water, looking pretty rough. Um, and he is shooting up drugs into his arm. I mean, again, quite a, um, quite a real adult-themed scene here yeah. in Gotham. Yeah, once again, we see probably the difference between American TV shows and, and Irish and UK TV shows that are on at 8pm. You know, in an Irish or UK TV show, you wouldn't be allowed to show any kind of drug use any major violence and you know people getting arms and limbs taken off them um and you certainly wouldn't be able to show any kind of sex scenes in the u.s it seems that everything's go if it's uh if as, as long as there's no sex essentially so uh you have these two characters who are you know under 15 i believe for both of the actors actually uh, are under 15 and they're being exposed to people shooting up drugs which is something you definitely wouldn't get and um yeah murder uh, as well from these young characters yeah but it's this is a really good scene and um, you know this t- team up between bruce and selena where mm-hmm. they go and question reggie ask you know who sent you and they get the answers that yeah. they're looking for they hear the name mathis and they, they hear the man that she sent to to hire reggie in uh Bunza's law mm-hmm. really really interesting and Absolutely. they're 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 using a you know a bit of tag team um work here where Selena's taken his bag of, of drugs and his equipment and he, she's just sort of dangling this out the window the top floor of, of this uh, sh- shooting gallery yeah he you know he he spills the bean he's desperate for that and then she pretends to to drop it but just hooks it i think mm-hmm. i don't know whether that was deliberate or not but we get this really interesting choice that um, suddenly looms up and confronts Bruce because I'm there going, this can't have been planned or premeditated for him to do this. Yeah. It's like the opportunity presented itself. But it was slightly unclear. I did think because it was hooked on and Selena hadn't dropped uh, Reggie's bag of kit mm-hmm. from from the window. I was thinking, is this premeditated? But I don't think it was, ultimately. I think the opportunity presented Bruce for him to essentially get rid of Reggie and yeah. push him out the window. And you can see him battling with that. And ultimately, Selena steps in and and does it on his behalf. She doesn't want him to have that on his conscience. Mm. Really important, in a sense, bonding moment for these two characters. You know, you can see Bruce saying, why did you do that? You know, what was the reasoning for it? You know, you're helping me, even though you've said you don't want to help me anymore. There's a really, it's an interesting point of departure and and coming together for these two characters at the same moment. And it'll be interesting to see how this plays out yeah. in the next episodes, because this is a crucial moment uh, where she steps in to do something for him, mm-hmm. to help him out. Um, and he, again, is saved from being... A killer yeah yeah and I'm, and I'm wondering i'm presuming this is selena kyle's first kill the first time that she's killed anyone um 
so I presume there's going to be re repercussions for her character as well as we go on through the rest of the, the last four episodes of the season or the last three episodes of the season. Um, I presume there's going to be repercussions for her. She's a young kid who's now killed a man. Um, yes, he might have been a bad man, but he wasn't particularly threatened to kill her or anything like that. He was threatening to expose her to uh, to essentially the bad guys at Wayne Enterprises. He's threatening to expose her. But that re that reveal won't have any major repercussions for her. It will have more repercussions for Bruce. And as you say, it's more about um, keeping Bruce on the right side of the law for her, it seems. But she does run away at the end of it. So I'm wondering if she'll have some, some kind of comeuppance or some kind of... Uh, reality check after this has happened that you know now she's a murderer you know will it now start to push her more to the dark side of her personality yeah i mean unless he falls into a dumpster with loads of black uh, bags and that cushion his fall and he's actually fine maybe just uh winded yeah. and needs to get up like maybe he's not dead pretty unlikely we've seen we've yeah. seen him pretty crushed on the ground out the window didn't we so uh, yeah i think he's uh, i think he's gone unfortunately i'm wondering how bruce is actually going to explain this to alfred because alfred's still going to be on the search for him when he wakes up from his uh from his little nap on the uh, on the couch he's gonna be asking bruce where i think it's more than a little nap i think yeah. it's actually full-blown recovery he his stitches obviously opened up that's right that's right but a little nap always helps uh, and no doubt um his his wound will be right as rain after um his little nap yeah yeah yeah, yeah possibly <laughs> or maybe this is the first time then just going back to your question that bruce has to lie to alfred mm -hmm. or and maintains it for a while and then we see alfred sort of um see through it it'd be interesting to again to see that consequence of this of this whole action yeah and um, against poor reggie and, and the reggie side I, <laughs> yeah although i do suppose alfred did say that he will hopefully find reggie hold up if he moves quickly enough so maybe alfred will think that he hasn't moved quickly enough and not realize that reggie's dead um interesting isn't it? yeah so um what's your next point derek my next point is a, a small one. It's just about Enigma. Um, it's really just an interesting little character trait they're continuing to bring out for, for Ed. Uh, this is the second week in a row that Ed has been riddled by another character. And he gets riddled twice. Um, last week we had Tom, who was Christian Kringle's boyfriend, who was riddling him uh, before he left. Uh, and this week we get uh, Harvey Bullock giving him the riddle. That Well, he calls it a riddle as to whether you want to work more or less. Um, and we also get uh, the... The positing of a of a a puzzle, I guess, from uh, from Jim Gordon to Ed, and he says, you know, I'll go out and work out this puzzle for you. You can trust me. So um, I'm liking that some of the characters are starting to interact much more with Ed, and you know, dealing with him the way he likes to be dealt with by giving him some riddles to solve and giving him some puzzle puzzles to deal with. Yeah, it's really teeing him up to um, become the puzzler. Yeah, <laughs> I mean the Riddler. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean it. It really must lend him some confidence that these people now are no longer sort of turning their back on him or just ignoring him. That he has, through Jim, gotten some uh, interaction, and I suppose what he would call genuine friends. Even with Harvey Bullock, he he's not snappy with him anymore. He he might still um, say the odd thing, but it seems as though Ed Nigma takes that in a much better way yeah. than, than previously so it's really nice to see but it ultimately is maybe feeding um his obsession with riddles to the point that um this becomes a much easier choice if need be mm -hmm. yeah absolutely um that was me uh john don't give us your last point yeah my last point here really is 
Gabe and Penguin. Again, I loved their interactions here. I loved um, within uh, Lydia's bar that Penguin is trying to purchase off her. Uh-huh. Um, just, you know, he's, he's kind of steps in and defends his, his, you know, the guy he works for from this seemingly um, aggressive uh, restaurant owner mm-hmm. uh, in the form of Lydia. Um, but then I love their chit-chat and dialogue whilst they have the silver-tongued guitarist oh, that wow. Lydia wants her granddaughter to be removed away from. I think she calls him uh, Satan, you know, and she just wants her granddaughter to come back to Mass on a Sunday and be righteous and and virtuous. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love the interaction then when Penguin uses that in order to um, make the deal on this important restaurant that he sees and, and which Gabe doesn't yeah. at this moment. But their, their, their dialogue whilst the guitarist is um, is tied up on a chair and Gabe just wants to, shall I put a bullet in him? And yeah. Penguin's like, no, 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 no. I can, you know, put a few slugs in him. Keeps coming back to, he just wants to use the gun and gun. Mm-hmm. Penguin's kind of, he's slightly more sophisticated in his torture techniques, I yeah. suppose, where he says, He's a guitarist. Take his fingers and pulls out some secateurs uh, to give to Gabe. You know, at which point, cue loud screaming and the plucking finger for the guitar withering, falling to the ground. A really, really good um, scene. Just a nice interaction between these two characters. And also important because it leads to um, Lydia selling her restaurant based on this act of kindness in her um, eyes for yeah. for herself and also we have that great scene on the way to that warehouse uh, where uh, Bruce is trying to find Reggie and is uh, knocking at the door of a gun range mm-hmm. and not a shooting gallery and you just see the penguin walk behind him and the street above yeah. really nice little touch as well I yeah thought. and Oswald Cobblepot just stops as if someone's just walked over his grave or he can smell something in the air as if uh... He doesn't really know what it is, but there's something close by. A really, a really interesting touch. And again, we've said it before, this is the city Gotham. This is the TV show about the city Gotham. So there is going to be a point where people pass by each other in the street. A nice little, a nice little joke there, a nice little nod there of, uh, of Oswald. Um, and just to clear up, if anyone like myself thought that this restaurant was owned by Gabe's mum, mm-hmm. um, he goes, ah, come on, mama, or something. So I thought it was his uh, his mum, but <laughs> nah. No, I think he probably would have had a bit more of sway with her with, if it was his actual mother, I suppose. And um, one of the things, though, about that scene with the guitarist that I thought was a bit odd, I suppose, they didn't really give the guitarist the opportunity when they threatened to cut off his fingers. Oswald simply says, "Take his fingers." They take his fingers, and then and then the guitarist either breaks up with the girl or is killed. You don't really get that uh, that piece of information, but. I would would have assumed that a pretty smart per- person who's threatening uh, a guitarist and saying we will take his fingers would have at least given him the chance to say, don't take my fingers, I can at least still play the guitar and I'll break up with her uh, at your request. But they don't, they just take his fingers. So I don't know, it, it, it leaves it a bit ambiguous. I wonder whether Lydia's, Lydia's daughter has dumped him because he can no longer play the guitar. Is that Was that the one thing that was attracting her to him and now they've taken that away? Um, I thought it was a bit ambiguous and ultimately hugely cruel of Oswald Cobblepot uh, in this scene. But it, it shows you his need to get this bar and maybe yeah. he has been killed because actually we find out 
the reason he is so adamant to buy this bar, and Gabe calls him out on it, mm -hmm. is because Don Salvador Moroni frequents it. And and it's a great ending to Oswald's story in this episode that he goes, this is where I'm going to kill Don Moroni. Yeah, yeah. And it's got the picture of him up on, on the wall. Again, this is all feeding into his his plan um, and this rivers of blood um, that we had seen very early on in the season. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what's your final point, Derek? Uh, my final point, I've been mentioning it every week uh, so far because I'm really loving the storyline. Um, Fish and her escape from the island and dealing with uh, Dr. Delmacher. Um, I really enjoyed her plan and really enjoyed seeing the plan come to fru come to fruition. Um, essentially, the the misdirection that's in the episode is really good. You know, you see her working in the uh, in Dr. Delmacher's hospital as if she's just a normal um, normal manager for the for the place at the beginning of the episode. She's talking to the patients as if she's just taking care of them, um, and then steps outside the front door to test the defenses of the uh, hospital essentially. And was face to face into the guards, which seized her with her plan for the end of the episode. Fantastic, I thought, uh, where she gets the guys on the, the heavies on one side, who are the people that are being sent to go for the boat, and then she gets her her crowd essentially together to go to the helicopter. And um, there's a great moment in in that's in one of the scenes where she's talking to the heavies and essentially saying to them, uh, "Right, you guys are leading the charge. I'm certainly not gonna." Um, I'm not going to trust my cadre of six or seven people because most of them are missing limbs and missing arms. And it cuts, uh, the camera cuts to all six or seven of them sitting down. <laughs> and every single one of them is either missing a hand or an arm or fingers or an eyeball. Um, what a crew of what a crew of characters. It was very funny. Yeah. Um, but it also implies Fish does have a caring side. I mean, maybe it's loyalty that overrides the caring mm -hmm. because... I really like the fact that she came back for Kelly, yeah. um, who it looked like she had given up in the last episode. It really spoke of her character, that yeah. she is loyal to the end. I love the fact that she used the muscle as sacrificial lambs. Mm -hmm. I think I'd spotted that quite early on. I thought she was going to go down that direction. I was hoping she would because I n knew then... It would be um, sort of a victory for the small guy and a yeah. victory for actually her previous allegiance. Um, and as I said, in particular, with, with Kelly, who was kind of like her, her right uh, hand man. And maybe he was one of the ones that had lost his, uh, <laughs> well, his right hand. Um, but it was very funny. It yeah. was a very, you know, it was a dark comedy moment, really, mm -hmm. where you look down, there's bandages around the head, there's an arm gone a leg gone, there's mm -hmm. bandages around the torso, there's fingers gone. I mean, you're just like, going, well, they are no help yeah. to to anyone. The great part about it is, though, they are the ones that take out the doctor. They are the ones that take out Dr. Dolmacher. Uh, sweet a, revenge. Absolutely, yeah. And another another great moment as well, you know. Um, they don't kill him, which is, I think, hugely important. Um, the Dolmaker is definitely still alive at the end of this episode. They beat him to the ground. Fish says, we don't have time for this, we got to go. And they leave him bleeding. But he's certainly not dead. I'm presuming he will return in a future episode. Uh, but I like his threat to her um, just before he gets beaten, where his threat to her is, uh, I'm going to make such amazing things of you, of you that the world has not seen before. Um, a great threat and reminded me a little bit of Hellraiser, a pinhead from uh, from the Hellraiser films, that kind of threat of, I will, I will destroy you. 
And here's what she says. What nightmare you created? I've faced dangerous men. But not like you. Dollmaker. So you'd rather take your own life than end up one of my creations? Yes. Well, Miss Money, try anything like this again and your nightmare will come true. I will bring you back from the dead if I have to. And make you into something the world has never seen. Was there something else? Yeah, and it's really good because it links in, as you're saying, to a creation. And what is it that she may become? And we've heard some of our listeners talk about her potentially being um, the Joker. I think I'd also, in discussing that about her possibility of becoming the Joker, also thought, well, maybe she could be Harley Quinn. So you never know. The Dollmaker could get his hands back on her. Mm-hmm. Um, because he's still alive. There's still, you know, um, three episodes to go. So he may still manage to get his grasp and, and his claws into her. So it, it's really interesting um, to see that. I certainly thought that whole um, scene in his office where she gets caught red-handed looking for more information on, on escaping was really quite creepy. Absolutely. It, it was brilliantly uh, done by these two good actors these mm-hmm. two great actors uh, the the tension through that scene was just great and i loved the fact that fish ha- has to pull together all her cunning and um, to essentially escape death and mm-hmm. um, i mean he you had no doubt that if he did not agree with what she said or was suspicious in any way that bullet was heading for her stomach Absolutely. really tense scene another good scene yeah. um in the, in this episode and i could not take my eyes off her fingernails uh, in this episode um she's again she must have the best manicurist in the whole place she's got she's now got <laughs> white nails to go with her white white outfit and uh, about three weeks ago when she arrived, she had red nails to go with her red outfit, you know. And she's she's looking like a werewolf, though, with those hands. They're really, really proper claws that she's got. I don't know whether she needed the knife to take care of herself if she was going to kill herself. I think she probably could slice someone's neck open with those, with those clawed fingernails that she has now. Well, absolutely. I mean, mm-hmm. but I think as well, just coming back to that, um, that whole scene, the anguish and the anxiety in Fisher's face... Um, like Jada Pinkett Smith did a really good job of showing how much she is terrified mm-hmm. of Dr. Dolmacher. Again, absolutely brilliant. It was a great scene. Yeah. And I know what you're saying with those nails. Maybe that's part of her superpowers. Maybe, maybe. Yes, but we've left her in a very precarious position at the end of this episode. She's been shot um, through the stomach, exactly where Dolmacher had threatened to shoot her. Uh while flying a helicopter away from uh, away from the island. Um, so quite interesting. I wonder what's going to happen with it. Yeah, the catcher. Um, I thought he was a pretty ominous figure. Mm. And, it, it, you know, he served his part well in this episode, I thought, um, yeah. killing off all the heavies. And uh, I kind of liked him. It was a nice little external threat. Um, and, yeah, through the stomach as they escaped the island of Dr. Moreau. Yes. I mean, it is really mm-hmm. the island of Dr. Moreau. It's all these experiments being carried out by the dollmaker. So it's another little 
reference and nod back to sort of literature um, and uh, some of the classic sort of Victorian horror yeah. novels. So, so yeah. really good. Absolutely, absolutely. On that note, John, do you have anything else about this episode we haven't covered yet? No, I, I think that is pretty much um, everything. It was good to see uh, Leslie Tompkins back um, mm-hmm. in this episode. Um, I also thought to begin with, before I knew that there was any twist in the um, the officer who originally came up to um, Jim Gordon to hand him the case or to say, will you take this case on? Yeah. Um, and that he, you know, had been watching him because Jim has been appointed the head of the um, police union. Mm-hmm. That, um, you know, he wanted to be a part of that whole cleaning up of the GCPD mm. and handing him the file. Again, it ran through my mind. And sorry, everyone, for probably bringing this up again. But I was thinking, why can't the MCU do that? They were always on his side. I mean, to the point that... They were so on his side, they had suspicions of him. Um, You know, there's that natural ally for Jim Gordon to clean up Commissioner Loeb, other doubtful elements and corrupt elements of the GCPD. And there's a whole unit there that was set up along those lines and not being involved. Again, I don't know how this is going to potentially um, play out whether we will hear anything but I just feel it's going to be a bit of a whimper if we do and I'm hoping that we don't mm-hmm. yeah yeah, no understandable but I have to say I did like that little trick of Loeb's to, to bring in a young guy to compliment uh, Jim on the work that he's done and to stroke his ego really you know he's got a bit of an ego now about about the, what he's doing in the police department he's got a, a little bit of um, a little bit of comfort in the fact that he's been able to get some help from some of the members of the GCPD who would have in the past completely turned their nose up to anything that would have hit their pockets, essentially. Um, and Loeb uses that to his advantage, which I thought was a really good little trick. Oh, yeah, the twist is great. And, I mean, with the knowledge of the twist, I understand why they didn't bring in the MCU. That was my main point. In my notes, just at that moment, I did kind of go was the MCU. Mm-hmm. And then as it transpired, I thought, that is brilliant, the twist. However, I still feel that's a valid point oh, from my notes. Yeah. But yeah, great twist um, in the storyline. And just shows you how absolutely abhorrent um, Commissioner Loeb is. He's yeah. really playing the the high-up uh, villain. It, it reminds me of Blade Runner and the head of the corporation just sort of being so despicable and mm-hmm. just evil yeah he does look evil yeah uh, speaking of uh, speaking of things looking one way um just an interesting one that i caught the uh, the cop that's standing beside um commissioner Loeb in this scene hugely reminded me of chief o'hara from uh, from the batman 66 series the uh, the irish cop yeah uh, that was in there i don't know why it's just something about the the actor that's there i'm gonna have to check out and see who he is whether he's a grandchild of uh, of um, the actor who played chief o'hara in the original batman 66 series uh, i don't know why it just really felt like um felt like he was there that chief o'hara had had a had, has a presence on the show now uh, just a fun little moment for me so overall, for me, this was a really, really great episode. Um, it had all the elements of the investigation interwoven with with the story really well. The flashbacks were done great. They've set up a quite terrifying um, adversary for Jim Gordon and his loved ones. Mm-hmm. 
I thought the the development of Bruce Wayne, both in terms of his relationship with uh, Selina, but also his knowledge of Wayne Enterprises uh, and the name dropping with Martha Mathis. Yeah. And um, again, a really nice development leading up to you know the final few episodes. And then we see Fish finally escape, albeit she's still in a precarious state with yeah. the, the bullet through the stomach, and finally escape Dolmacher's Island, the island of Dr. Dolmacher, <laughs> um, and hopefully back to Gotham, where she will be involved in a huge um, jamboree with the Dons, Oswald, and the GCPD yeah. as we move towards the, the final three episodes of season one of Gotham. Yeah. So really, really strong, good episode, this one. Loved it. Definitely, yeah, totally agree with you. Um, I loved seeing Ben McKenzie's Jim Gordon starting to really take the lead in the partnership with Harvey Bullock. There's no doubt that he is the lead partner now. He's no longer learning anything from Harvey, and if anyone's learning anything in that relationship, it's Harvey. And it's to keep your head down and just go with what Jim wants you to do. That's basically what he's learning now. Um, again, I'll say Milo Ventimiglia is, without a doubt, the best guest star we've had on the show. I'm delighted he's going to take. Uh, he's going to be in more episodes coming forward. This is not the the last episode we're going to see him in. He's definitely going to be in another. I think it's two more uh, as well towards the end of this season. So, um, so I can't wait for next week when we see a bit more of a of the ogre. Uh, really good. Great. Well, I think with that we can move on to our feedback. Fascinating. So our feedback this week came from Jason Wiley over on our uh, Facebook page, which is the Gotham TV podcast over on Facebook. Uh, Jason says, loving the podcast, but I think you should put them all up on YouTube as it will be far easier for people to subscribe and be updated of things. And would allow comments in every podcast video and uh, also makes it easier to share content. Thanks so much for that suggestion, Jason. Um, what we have said, obviously, is that we, we have thought about doing uh, our podcasts up on YouTube, but uh, realistically, we don't have a huge amount of video content that we uh, that we do. And um, so, unfortunately, YouTube being a video medium, really, uh, a lot of people, what we do recognize is that a lot of people will uh, switch off after a couple of minutes for the episodes, whereas an audio podcast, they're more likely to, you know, wear it, put in your earphones like most of you are listening to us now and uh, listen to us on the bus going to work, that kind of stuff. So as a lot of our feedback has said in the past, and I know that there are changes in YouTube now that there is going to be an audio, a much more audio platform available through YouTube. So I'm definitely going to look into seeing what we can do potentially for season two uh, of Gotham TV podcast. And if it works out, we can absolutely upload uh, the first season of our of our episodes of Gotham TV podcast. Yeah, I mean, we can always take another look at uh getting more involved with youtube i suppose we've just not had the the equipment and we you know we do this off our own back so you know we maybe take things slowly but surely as as we move through developing um this podcast and and that would include going over and doing podcasts on youtube mm -hmm. on video but certainly when we've done some of the podcasts with legends of gotham and we've done that through google hangouts i must say i've really enjoyed um having uh our two ugly mugs on, on screen <laughs> it's been good fun as well um so maybe you never know and never say never that we will be uh, trying to take YouTube by storm. <laughs> <laughs> perhaps, perhaps. Well, thanks so much again, Jason, for your feedback. Really good to hear from you on Facebook. And again, if anybody wants to find us over on Facebook, you can find us by searching Gotham TV Podcast. Uh, any other feedback that you want to send us, you can email it to feedback at gothamtvpodcast.com or you can follow us on Twitter at Gotham TV Podcast. 
whilst it's technically not feedback, and um, we did want to give a shout out to Beth uh, J. Foy for some great little uh, bits of artwork yeah. and drawings that she's sending through on Twitter of Gotham. Uh, pictures of the Penguin, of Oswald, of Gabe. Really, really good. Um, and so we just want to give a shout-out there because she's sending them around. There's uh, certainly talent there in those drawings. Um, so, yeah, yep. thank you for sharing those uh, with everyone who's who's uh, following us on Gotham TV Podcast um, on Twitter. Yeah, definitely, Beth. Thanks very much. I think my favourite one was uh, was Oswald as uh, as a character from Futurama. I thought that was really good in a real Matt Groening style. Uh, it was really good. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, so thanks for the feedback. And remember, they will go into the um, competition to win the signed Christopher Ominga print of Oswald Cobblepot holding his umbrella, as we mentioned at the start of this episode. But I think with that, we've got a, a few items of news. So our first piece of news was is just a, a little bit of a shout out for a, another podcast, a much bigger podcast than ours. A much, much bigger podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's essentially Nerdist did an interview with uh, Robin Lord Taylor, uh, which they released this weekend. Uh, really interesting interview. It's about an hour long with the uh, with the host, I suppose you'd call him, of, uh, of Nerdist, which is Chris Hardwick. You may have seen him on The Talking Dead, which is a follow-up show to The Walking Dead. He's great presenter and really interesting interviewer and him sitting down with Robin Lord Taylor where they talk about things like his appearance on The Walking Dead, obviously his character on Gotham, how he got to where he is today and, you know, how it's been for him going from essentially an actor who's had, you know, 40 followers on Twitter now up to, you know, 20, 30,000 and having people cry cry the minute they see him walking into a convention now, you know, really interesting. Yeah, really, really interesting uh, interview there on Nerdist. Um, and of course, there is the final, final bit of news, which is the final episode of Gotham as in the US uh, last night on the 4th of May. Yeah. Um, so everyone in, um, in North America from the USA and Canada, please... Keep your Twitter handles uh, slightly subdued for us. Um, <laughs> don't tag us in anything. I'm sure you will, and of course we don't mind at all. We yeah. will simply close our eyes and try not to to see them. But um, I'm, I, we hope it's a blast. We really, really do. Yeah, I know already. I've had to clear out our uh, our Twitter inbox this morning, so uh, I know we have have been tagged. And thanks very much for following us at least on uh, on Twitter. And I hope you enjoyed the uh, the last episode of Gotham which we'll see in about three weeks over here. So uh, not too much longer for us to go either. No. So with that, thank you to everyone from North America, from Europe, from Ireland, from the UK, from anywhere else uh, around uh, the world. Mm -hmm. And thank you so much for listening. Um, and we will be here next week to give episode 20 of Gotham as we edge a little bit closer towards that finale of Gotham. So thank you so much. Yep. As always, thank you for listening. We'll talk to you again next week. Bye. Gotham TV podcast. Do not cross Alan and Montoya.